Hello, college football fans, and welcome to the third episode of College Football Throwdown. I am your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I am joined by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello. This third installment. And today we are joined by a special guest, a friend of my father's and a neighbor of ours, uh, Brian Clower. Good to see you, gentlemen. Hi, Brian. Uh, it's great to have you're our inaugural guest on the podcast, <laughs> which is a lot of fun. And, Privilege and, to be here. And, and we're, uh, we're, we're broadcasting to you today from... Uh, from the chateau in Elk Rapids <laughs> of one um, Brian Clower. So <laughs> the Clower Chateau. Yes, the Clower sh- Chateau. Yeah. Um, and so we've got a, a, a brief time uh, that uh, Brian has uh, uh, allowed us to uh, have him join us. So we're going to try to hit a couple of topics, obviously a little um, Michigan-centric because Brian's a, a big fan of the, of the big blue. So uh, we'll talk a lot about that. And uh, so ho- what we're hoping to talk to him about today are uh, first, a little bit about the recent uh, Harbaugh interview with Colin Cowherd, which is, has garnered a lot of attention, frankly, too much attention, so I hope this will be a brief conversation. <laughs> and then uh, also just get his general opinion about how things are going at the University of Michigan, what his thoughts are for the upcoming season. And then we'll fold into uh, preseason rankings for the Eastern Division of the Big Ten. We're not going to have a lot of time on the national scene because I'll just jump into that right now. Okay, Alex, the, uh, we're, we're kind of in a dead period right now where not a lot is going on. This is probably the time when if a coach is going to get a vacation, this is when they're taking it. Uh, the, the reality is, is here coming up next week is the SEC Media Days, and that's kind of the kickoff, the start of uh, a whole series of um, Media Days that will go on with all the major conferences over the next three to four weeks. And then, and then preseason uh, starts. So it's uh, kind of exciting. It's getting right there. So with that, Alex, uh, let's uh, let's move first into the Harbaugh show short, and I'll let you. All right. Well, for those who don't know, who haven't been enamored with this by all the media discussion it's had, uh, uh, the new Michigan's new coach Jim Harbaugh had an interview with Colin Cowherd, where ESPN, uh, right? Yes, ESPN's radio host, where it was an extremely awkward interview, where both of them were not given their A game necessarily. And Har- uh, Cowherd ended up cutting Harbaugh off before the interview was supposed to end, calling it, what do you call it? Uh, was it a bust? Clunker. A clunker. clunker. Yes, on the air. And so, Mr. Clower, we wanted your opinion uh, as a Michigan fan on how you think Harbaugh portrayed himself on that interview and if it negatively affects the program or not. Well, first of all, I'm glad to be here. I'm seeing a lot of red because uh, <laughs> both the Schmitz boys are, are a diehard Nebraska fan, so it's great to be in their company this morning. Uh, is, in regard to the Cowherd interview, that was an interesting twist because for the most part, Harbaugh's uh, attention this, uh, since hiring and over the offseason has been pretty impressive. He has generated a lot of interest to uh, the program, and really any time we've got attention, that's good attention because it raises awareness. But with the Coward interview, certainly the clunker probably fits. Uh, he did not appear to be as, as into the interview as perhaps he could have been. I blame it on the uh, night game they he pitched, uh, the opening pitch for the game before. <laughs> and it was a long extra inning game, like 14 innings. No, in actuality, I think it really was a case where he is a short answer kind of guy and he doesn't really like playing the media embellishment game. So uh, he gave a very dry and, and succinct response to all the questions and probably uh, was not well received by Cowherd and many others. In regard to what he could have done differently or whether he should have done something differently, uh, I don't know about that, but I don't think it did affect his his long-term uh, attractiveness to players or to alum or Michigan fans. I think it's just one of those things that uh, they'll begin getting a sense that he's not going to do real well in those kind of interviews or right. care much. Right? right, or care or care to do well. Yeah. I, my, my description of... Uh, of it is that uh, you had a guy who had had six cup of coffees and a guy who had who had got up who had just gotten up. That that's basically what it was. You had right. two people trying to have an interview. One who was so wired, uh, he was about ready to explode, and the other guy just rolled out of bed. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Is the yeah. Case. So you know, I I thought I'd just take one more moment. Two things. We forgot to do the uh, the uh, necessary opening of the nice. beverage can. See. For that, is that too loud again? That's now? fine. Okay, that worked out good. And since Brian is our guest, we definitely have to have Brian do the same thing. So <laughs> there we go. All right, so now we're good to go. 
There we um, go. So, um, and it, just one thing on yeah, the Harbaugh thing before we close it out, but what we've talked about in the past is that I feel like um, it's fine for Harbaugh to kind of be, I would say, not antagonistic, but indifferent towards, um, you know, media interviews and stuff like that. And particularly if he wins the way people are expecting him to win, then everyone will just wave it off as the, that being just a, you know, some, a factor of his intensity. Like mm-hmm. that he's so focused on football that he doesn't have time for the media. And if he wins football games, everybody will be fine with that. But if he struggles a little, then it might be a similar situation like Nebraska with Bo Pelini, where at the beginning we loved his tough, you know, attitude and how he was giving our team a backbone and not backing down from anybody. But as the years went on and he started, you know, shutting out the fans a little bit more and not winning the games we wanted him to win, then that started to tick people off a little more. Right. It, 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 just winning, win. Winning, <laughs> winning cures everything. That's right. It's That's right. Just about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. All right. And then the, the next thing I believe we wanted to talk about was, Mr. Cloward, just get your opinion on uh, how you think Michigan is stacking up for this upcoming season and... As a side note, um, maybe some opinions on some of the recent talk that's been going on about recruiting. We did a whole thing on our last podcast about the satellite camps that many of the Big Ten teams have done, and Harbaugh has been very active in that. So what your perspective is on those or early visitation days and how those would affect both Michigan and college football as a whole? Well, first of all, Alex, it's shocking to see how uh, recruiting has become such an enormous focus and, and the attention that's given to recruiting nationwide and all of the uh, hoopla that goes into it is shocking. But it's clear that Harbaugh understands that. It's clear he's come from the NFL, even though the people expected him not to be enthused about recruiting and still have an interest, in fact, perhaps a passion for doing that. Uh, recruiting's been good. I think we've had some you know, nice recruits. Uh, it's looking good for 2016. Of course, we're already looking at 2017, lining people up. So in the foreseeable future, things look pretty good. I think this, this upcoming group coming in is, is uh, adequate, but the transition certainly hurt, I think, his ability to sustain and maintain some of the kids that he had originally thought would, would be with us under Hoke. But uh, no, looking good. I think overall we're, we're pleased, and he's also, I think, selecting the kind of student-athletes that he wants for the future. It's continually written that he's looking for tough players, cerebral players, players with character. Now, I, I don't know that that's unique to Michigan. I'm sure that right. any coach would like that kind of player. But at the same time, I do think that's a, a cornerstone of what he'd like to have. And in the past, he's gotten lesser starred players and coached them up, which I think D'Antonio's done a very nice job of too. So I'm hopeful that that will show out when, it, uh, when these kids come aboard. All right. Cool. So, uh, uh, Brian, uh, to expound on the Michigan thing just a little bit more, what what would you say um, in terms of looking at this season? Uh, you've got uh, a very interesting schedule this year uh, with the division of the East to West. Uh, you guys being in the East, you know, you've, you, you're you going to face uh, some of the other uh, big names in the Big Ten this year, which would be Michigan State and to maybe a mm-hmm. slightly lesser extent Penn State, and I believe you play Penn State out there, right? Uh, so that's going to be a tough one. Uh, but then your non-conference schedule also includes uh, Utah, BYU. Mm-hmm. So a couple Oregon of games State. that that aren't gimmies, you know. That uh, I mean, somebody might look at that on paper and say, "Oh yeah, Michigan's going to win that game." But right. but given all the circumstances, changing coaches, you never know. Yeah, we've traded off Notre Dame, which I think we're still disappointed about losing that uh, long-standing rivalry. But the uh, Brigham Young, Utah, uh, Oregon State games will be challenging for a pre-conference uh, play. And we do, have, fortunately, have Michigan State and Ohio State at home. Penn State's on the road. Uh, you know, the projections are we'll go 7-5. and five. I'm quietly hopeful that we might go 8-4 and four or perhaps surprise people and do a little bit better. As you've said, Pete, I think there is uh, a stable of talented young players that have not yet reached their potential or been coached to the point where they're starting to show their true ability, and we're hopeful that this year that might be something that turns the corner, but we'll have to wait and see, you know. Right. Now, see, and 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 I base some of my perception on you because we talk so often about this, uh, and hopefully we'll get a chance to tell one story of, or another before this is over. Uh, but uh, the, the thing that uh, strikes me is how a lot of the Michigan fans that I speak to seem – Perfectly content with that seven and five, eight and four kind of expectation going into this 2015 season, and I just find that unusual because if you look back over the Hoke regime, they didn't recruit poorly. They recruited really quite well. 
from okay. a national perspective. Okay, and, two top 10 uh, yeah. recruiting classes. And so yeah. to suggest that the cupboard is bare in any way in Ann Arbor is, to me, absurd. How, did they underperform? Oh, absolutely. But but that doesn't mean that, like you said, the light bulb's not going to go on with some of those young linemen who have now gotten a lot of reps, and all of a sudden none of this stuff's going to be new to them. New names, new terminology, etc., and some of that adjustment. But they've played college football. They've been across from the big uglies, and they've played Michigan State, and they've played Ohio State. You know, that, that's not going to freak them out like right. it might have when they were a freshman or even a sophomore. I just, I'm more bullish on Michigan than most Michigan fans, which is an odd place for me to be. <laughs> well, I think there's some, uh, you know, I'm, I'm with you, Pete. I think it's a surprise that uh, we had fallen so far so quickly from an 11-2 uh, season Sugar Bowl four years ago to 5-7 and seven last year. But Hoke's uh, class, recruiting classes have been solid. They've been top 10 recruiting classes, I think, two of the three years. And offensive line were all basically four-star studs. I think we looked for them to develop more than they did, and they didn't. So probably the Michigan fans, and myself included, are a little gun-shy because we're seeing kids that we thought would perform, should perform. They've got the talent to perform, but they weren't. And uh, so we'll see if these coaches can coach them up and if they've matured enough to show what they're supposed to be doing. And we may see some surprises. But I think we're comfortable 7-5, 8-4 uh, at this point. And, you know, we'd like a surprise. We'd like to be a Nebraska 9-win, 10-win type team. So right. we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's cool. true. Well, honestly, I remember the first year that Bo was coaching for us, we were expecting kind of like that eight-win season kind of thing. We right. got kind of pleasantly surprised by a nine-win season. Right, Like, exactly. he actually got off to a great and start. And won a bowl game and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I don't think it's unreasonable necessarily to, like, eight wins. An eight-win season for a new coach would be oh. it would, uh, certainly a solid start. Right. You know, I would be happy if, uh, you know, right. Riley had that kind of start, you know, depending on how bad the losses He's were, gotta obviously. He's got to get nine, Alex. He's got to get at least nine. <laughs> well, that's what everybody says. <laughs> Because he's coming after Bo. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And then Bo had nine wins lined up. So right, right. I think as you look at Michigan, too, the, the two areas that we really struggle with, offensive line and protection of the quarterback, and a quarterback that was efficient. Our offensive line is projected to be better. We've got a great offensive line coach this year. And if Ruddick or uh, perhaps uh, uh, second-string quarterback. Morris. Morris, thank you. Morris comes in. If either of those two guys play with some consistency, and protect the ball better than Devin Gardner did, I think 8-4 is very reasonable. Uh, but, you know, it's going to take some time. Yeah. The talent's coming. Uh, the, the game plan's coming. Yeah. But it's it's not a done deal. See, I, I, my, my, my assessment to respond would be uh, your defense is going to be good to great, mm -hmm. frankly, because they were pretty damn good last will year. Be, yep. And then mm -hmm. second... Uh, offensively, I think with, with Harbaugh, he's going to go back to some roots. He's going to run some power football. He's going to use that offensive line and, and frankly, simplify things. Mm -hmm. And I think you're going to see a huge jump in your offensive line play. That's my prediction. My big question mark, and the only reason I wouldn't even be more bullish on them, is special teams. If I remember correctly, last year, um, you had some games that, frankly, were lost on special teams. And that's the thing that I, I don't know anything about where you're going to be next year special teams-wise. Well, you and I have talked, Pete, for years on this, and I remember uh, you sharing that Nebraska didn't approach it as special teams. And tell me real quick right. about that. Right. That, how do they, that's right. How do they uh, figure into that third in the Tom In the Tom Osborne era, uh, he never referred to that as special teams. He referred to it as the kicking game and uh, because he viewed it, even in practice, as one-third, one-third, one-third. And he dedicated it a great deal of effort and time and had tremendous coaches that coached our kickers and, and our punt returners and that sort of stuff. And so we consistently had, we weren't the best. We don't have the reputation of Virginia Tech or right. even maybe Oregon at times. Mm -hmm. and uh, But we always had very good uh, punt returners, kick returners, and then our kicking game has been top-notch. I mean, there was you, there probably was a period you would have even said that was kind of kicking you, if you will, between mm -hmm. our kickers and punters going into the NFL and having success. Right because they were phenomenal. And they were almost all walk-ons. Mm -hmm. Well, how do you do that? It's by selecting and then developing that mm -hmm. talent. Mm -hmm. so. Well, this actually transitions nicely into our discussion on preseason rankings, which is the next thing we wanted to talk about. Because I found this, uh, there's a website called thedailygopher.com, which I guess is like a Minnesota right. website. And this guy has this post that was done by, um, or these rankings that were done by Tom Deanhart from the Big, Big Ten, Ten Network, mm -hmm. and he ranked uh, each of the divisions, the East and the West, based on um, each unit's performance, then like averaged them out to give like an overall right. ranking. And so for the East, um, he ranked Michigan fourth on the list, 
and gave the lowest grade to the special teams. They said you were the worst in special teams in the entire East, but you were third best in offensive line in the East. Well, the potential so, there, Alex, for offensive line, because as I said before, we recruited some phenomenal four-star, very impressive offensive linemen that just have not performed. And they blame that on youth, they blame that on development, but I've watched other teams, including Ohio State, for example, which had a young offensive line a year ago, and our development seems to be much slower than the others. So I think coaching's had a large part to do in that, uh, playing that. We do have a, an impressive offensive co- line coach who's also our offensive coordinator now. So we hope to see some growth there and hope those guys mature. But special teams are a whole different animal. And I think, again, Harbaugh astutely said, much like Nebraska, we got to find someone that can coach up these guys and, and right. get a scheme in place. Right. So he has hired a coach specifically for special teams. This guy's had a great reputation for developing, you know, punt blocking, uh, kickoff coverage, uh, field goal things, but you still have to have the talent in place. Yep. So Harbaugh went out and got a transfer student who was an Australian punter, kind of that machine that Australia is producing now where they're uh, teaching Australian soccer players or, or rugby players to become uh, college and professional punters. So he selected some players in that vein to try and fill some stop, you know, to be a stopgap for now. But we've got some work to do. Yeah, special teams is a weakness, and I can't remember the last time we had decent uh, kickoff returns, right. really to speak of. And our coverage has been so-so. Right. Uh, we've been, you know, punting a lot, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, well, that's something we have, you know, silently kind of benefited from in Nebraska is the fact that we've had good punters and good field goal kickers, you know, and that can, in, a, yeah. in the battle of field position, which games really become if they're, like, close games, you know, having a good punter is a really big asset. Huge. It's way underrated. Yeah, it really Absolutely. is. Nebraska's excelled at that. They really have. Google, so. They really have. And, mm-hmm. and interestingly, uh, Mike Riley has done the same thing as Jim Harbaugh mm-hmm. in that we we haven't had a special teams coach right. uh, under any of our three previous coaches, and now Mike Riley has a special teams coach, a guy that that's all he does. He doesn't have a position. He just coaches special teams. And that's, that's an interesting thing. You, you only have a limited number of coaches, and to devote one of those full-time positions – for special teams is frankly unusual. I, I think it's probably less than a third of major Division One football programs that have a special teams coach. I think most split it up or you know Charity have one mm-hmm. or two guys that, that do it for the most part, and uh, they also have a position. This this uh, this doing it de- dedicated is going to be interesting because that means you're thinning yourself somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Right, but you know, if it pays dividends in the special teams game, exactly. it would be worth it. Absolutely. Going through this ranking, uh, no surprise, Ohio State's number one, number two, Michigan State, three, Penn State, four, Michigan, five, Indiana, six, Maryland, and seven, Rutgers, according to this and list here. I looked at a list uh, that actually was a summary of four different ones, and I, I, I can't remember, the fourth one was kind of more obscure, but it was ESPN, Athlons, and Sporting News. And interestingly, they were all consistent. They all picked Ohio State uh, and or uh, excuse me, Ohio State and Michigan State to be one two. Um, I don't believe any. I think they were also consistent with Penn State three and then Michigan four on that eastern uh, side of it. Uh, they they were also fairly consistent in the West. But we'll talk about West on our next right. podcast. The the part that's interesting about that to me is like I think Ohio State and Michigan State as one and two is mm-hmm. like a no brainer. But Penn State, Michigan at the three and four spot, I feel like that's a little bit more like could go either could way. Could go either way, absolutely. I think there's some unknowns there with Penn State. I think probably the reason that so many people lean to Penn State is obviously they're, they're further along in their program. They have also recruited very well, and they have a quarterback who's an experienced yeah. guy, and that's the big difference maker is that you know uh, he's going to be a guy that will probably take a big step forward this year if he's going to. It's going to happen now. We're thrilled to have uh, Shane Morris developing, maybe playing, and Ruddick coming over from Iowa. But you compare those two guys to uh, Hackenberg, it's a big gap. Yes. And I think, as we've talked many times, college football depends heavily on the talent of quarterbacks. So I think that gives Penn State the, the leg up. Yeah. And with that said, that there's, no, there's no question why Ohio State's number one. Right. You've got three potential Heisman Trophy quarterbacks vying for playing. <laughs> That's yeah. a problem we, most of us would on, love to have. You know, on on the way over here to the Chateau, um, <laughs> we, uh, we were listening to the radio to uh, yeah, uh, Sirius XM uh, uh, College Sports. And, that's the topic that they were talking yeah. about. They were talking with uh, Braxton Miller, a, a yeah. writer from okay. the Columbus Dispatch, and and you know just how is this going to happen? How are they going to deal with this riches of quarterback 
talent, you know. And well, the one thing I was going to comment about that was that there have been times like where we've like done kind of a two quarterback thing at Nebraska, like yeah. you know having you know somebody play for like a quarter and then switching on to the second quarter or whatever. And I feel like that's good for like you know maintaining competition between the two quarterbacks, you know, and giving your offense some diversity, you know, if they have two different playing styles. But at the same time, I feel like the lack of, like, unity that, like, one central leader gives to your team could hurt you as well. What are you guys' thoughts on that? Well, I tell you, having Watson last year shift gears seamlessly, it's pretty remarkable that uh, uh, they didn't seem to lose, you know, miss a step with anybody who was driving the machine. When Braxton Miller was in there, seemed, I mean, just phenomenal. Right. And then uh, number two was... JT Barrett. JT Barrett comes in. And he's got similar attributes, but you know is more successful passing. Lights him up. He gets dinged up. Cardell Jones comes in, even more impressive. He's a monster. Yeah, he's a monster. You can't hurt the guy. So I really think, having watched Ohio State many many years, the last couple of years with the injuries they've had, they've just stepped someone into that next spot, and it's been you no know, drop off. Very similar to what Nebraska was in the Tom Osborne days too. Right. It seems to be a system with great talent ready to step in. Now. Cardale Jones, I'd put him in to start off because you can't hurt the guy. That, take, that, takes the, that takes the injury concern away. I mean, I'm serious. I don't think you can hurt the guy. Right. Uh, Braxton Miller still got a little bit of a tight shoulder. So how they'll use him, it may not even be a quarterback. They may use him in slot. They may use him yeah. in some kind of trickeration type thing where he's doing some things or, or running the uh, wildcat. And Barrett, you know, he can do it all too. So it's well, a great problem. The uh, the guy made an interesting comment, and I think it's really uh, appropriate. One, well, one is number one. You know that Urban Myers had that conversation with those guys. Right. They know how they're going to be used, and that the, the competition is clearly going to be open. But you go back to his days at uh, Florida, and in the year that he first won a national title. He won it with Chris Leak as the starter, mm-hmm. and and uh, Tim Tebow, Tebow yep. was the backup. He was the guy that came in along the the, the, the goal line and made all the crazy, you know, dive over the top plays and all that sort of stuff because of his athleticism. And he found a way to to, to integrate Tebow. He could have replaced Leak. I mean, right. clearly Tebow was better for that offense than Leak, but he respected that experience and, and that leadership that Chris Leak brought. And it's probably why they won a title. You right. Know? But but uh, Tebow. Uh, uh, as an example, I think that it's going to be really interesting to see how how Braxton Miller handles being in that role. He's right. the senior, but he's also the guy that knows there's guys behind him that, frankly, from a traditional quarterback standpoint, probably have better skills. Mm-hmm. He has very unique talent as a runner that neither of those guys possess, and so he brings stuff to the table. It's about what he's willing to do yeah. uh, for the team. And well, if they find that mix, oh, my gosh, yeah. they could be – you know, a legendary team. They could be. They got the offense to back it up. Uh, you're right, Pete. I think Urban Meyer really does a nice job integrating players and talent and making mm-hmm. everyone feel like they're contributing. Uh, at the same time, Braxton is senior, and you can't show loyalty to him for the sake of of his right. tenure there. If you got better people that can play, you play him. Period. Right. And unfortunately, Brady Hoke and I admire Brady as being a good guy and all, but in two cases with uh, Devin Gardner and and even uh, Shoelace. We had issues where I think his loyalty got in the way of where those guys probably should have been playing, mm-hmm. and they may have been better suited uh, both from the team aspect as collegiate athletes and certainly as they were looking at the NFL potential uh, in different positions. So you got to be careful. Braxton is a great talent. He's, he's committed a lot and done a lot for the team, but if Barrett or uh, Jones are playing better football, sorry. Well, and the interesting thing to me is that it's true that Braxton is the one with the seniority, you know, has played longer, but Barrett's the one who basically led them through the, almost the entirety of right. their last season and led them to a national championship. So, you know, this isn't like the Tim Tebow situation where he was the backup, the talented backup, but who had, hadn't seen the field much. Mm-hmm. He's, he led that team, you know, all last year and proved himself. So I think that gives him a lot more credibility in terms of his argument for the top spot. Absolutely. Right. Yep. Hey, I just want to do one more thing. Uh, uh, well, there's two. two right. Actually, two more things before we... Uh, uh, move on. Uh, first one would be Brian. Um, 
Tell me what your thoughts are as a Big Ten guy from from the get go, from the cradle. Uh, is uh, was there Jim, any other conference? Exactly, exactly. We'll get I there. there. I didn't know there was another conference you in know, the Big Ten for the a great, long time. I didn't know that. <laughs> I had to introduce you to the idea that football was a national. And I thought there was one game that was played in January, and it was the it was the Rose Bowl. So. <laughs> I love it. All right, uh, but but uh, Jim Delaney. I mean, this guy yeah. has been profound on this conference. Remarkable, and certainly a big reason why Nebraska is a part of the Big Ten is because Jim Delaney had a vision uh, to see what was going to be happening and and uh, frankly in a situation where he was put on the spot. I mean I don't know if you know that history specifically but literally when our when the Chancellor of our University and Tom Osborne are driving back from a meeting with the Big 12 in Kansas City and they're driving back to Lincoln and they get on the phone with Jim Delaney uh, they had already obviously been having some conversations prior to that but basically, Jim uh, Jim Delaney was put on the spot where where uh, um, it, you know he had to kind of make his decision: Do you want us or not? Because things are at a at a tenuous point here with the Big Twelve, and either we're going to have to grant rights tomorrow, or we're not. And 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 we're gonna we're gonna jump to you, or we're not. So we need you to commit right now. And and you know Delaney was able to pull that together and pull that trigger, yeah, and make it happen literally. Overnight, you know, which was just dramatic as as it unfolded. But but he's a guy that it wasn't just about that. I mean, you go back in time. This guy has made decision after decision after decision that has been profound for not just the Big Ten, but for the uh, football, college football in general. Right. And yet he's done most of those things. I mean, I, I I don't know all his history, but most of those things with a real focus on student athletes because he was a student athlete at North Carolina, and he's always put that front and center. Mm-hmm. He's about ready to go. He's going to be out soon. Uh, you know. So your thoughts on Jim Delaney and what we do going forward after that? Well, a couple of things, Pete. First of all, when Jim Delaney was, was uh, uh, well, when he picked up Penn State, and you know me, I'm a long-time traditionalist. I'm about as traditional as they come. Right. In fact, uh, the Big Ten should only have 10 teams. That's my, <laughs> Absolutely. That's my I get standpoint. It. I get it. But when Penn State was, when, when Penn State joined us, it was a great you know, a, a compliment to the to the uh, conference, and the fact is, it was going to happen. I mean, we've talked about this. You, you, you're not static; things do change, and I think Delaney has balanced that traditionalism and the the history and, and all the things that were great about the Big Ten, as well as uh, bringing in teams that had that kind of tradition, reputation from other conferences. Nebraska being one, and I was thrilled when Nebraska came aboard. I've been thrilled ever since, except the last two times they beat our butts and kicked our butts. <laughs> but, uh, but, but other than that. No, I think Delaney's done a marvelous job, and I think he's a visionary, but I've always admired what he's done in regard to balancing the tradition, mm-hmm. always looking at the roots and, and where the Big Ten has come from, but at the same time trying to make uh, projections and adjustments ahead of other conferences and ahead of other things right. before we get caught you know, chasing our tail or, or reacting. Right. He's been very proactive in that sense and done a nice job. We're going to miss Delaney. Uh, there, you know, there are things that he's done that I've questioned right. uh, and I've not been happy with. But overall, he's balanced the whole tenor of the, oh, yeah. of the Big Ten well, yeah. I think, and, and attracted teams. You know, we'll see how the Maryland Rutgers thing shows up uh, over time. But again, I second-guessed it uh, already. The media aspect of the Big Ten has been enormous with those extended uh, uh, venues now. And two, recruiting has changed because you can go out east and Look for kids now that perhaps no, in the past you've not I think gotten. Michigan's probably the yeah, one that's we're, reaped we're the pretty, biggest. We're pretty pleased with New Jersey. New Jersey. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. We, got, we got one more we're trying to nail no, down, so we'll see if we can get Gary. But uh, <laughs> anyway, no. Uh, yeah, a great leader, and I don't know what his what his timeline is, but when he's gone, we'll have to find somebody to step into big shoes. Yeah. Okay. okay. Did you have one other thing uh, you no, want to mention? Oh, well, we were going to just do a little quick story. You know, one of the things uh, that uh, has always been a joy when – when, uh, when I uh, moved, when we as a family, Alex, and I uh, moved Traverse City, uh, uh, we were lucky enough to move into a neighbor, neighborhood where Brian was, a, was our neighbor or, uh, and uh, was just wonderful uh, to uh, have a guy that, that had a passion for the sport of college football as much as, as, much as I did. We were coming from very different spots at that point, but we had that common ground. And, and over the years then, uh, as neighbors, we just found different ways to have the conversation, whether it was kayaking in Lake Michigan 
or uh, and, and shooting the breeze about the, the, the upcoming season, the upcoming game during, during the fall. Uh, it was always a lot of fun. Uh, and then the evolution of the video game got <laughs> made its presence known. And oh, we yes. played college football back when before they got into the whole rights of right, uh, right. jersey numbers and all that crap. Yeah. Uh, we had uh, many, many a night uh, in your basement playing video games uh, <laughs> like a bunch of kids. Uh, and it was a blast. It and was. Uh, and built, uh, built a camaraderie that has uh, led us to, th- to this point where we're at the Chateau the in Elk Rabbits. So. And it's still the best, Pete and Alex. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Yeah, so thank you for coming on today, Mr. Clower. We like, fun. We want to have more guests on in the future. And so we're going to end this guest segment here, and we'll be back in a moment with uh, more from Pete and I about the Nebraska side of things for this episode. Okay. I want to thank Brian for uh, taking the time out of his day to uh, join us for a little discussion about the uh, University of Michigan and college football in general. It's uh, a lot of fun to to have conversation with, with Brian. He's been kind of my connection to college football here in Michigan uh, since we moved here. And uh, it's a real uh, pleasure to be able to have a friend who who has the same passion as you do. And so that made for a lot of fun discussions and really prompted maybe the early uh, conversations that we had as well, Alex, after you would hear Brian and I talk in college football for a period of time, then you'd you'd come back with some questions sometimes, and so right. that really was the uh, the incubator, if you will, of uh, of even your interest. So, uh, and mm-hmm. one of the things that Brian and I both share is this tremendous passion for the the sport of college football, and and it leads to a, a, another topic that I I'd like to talk about and kind of get some of your thoughts, uh, Alex, and and that is that there's a difference in my opinion between the college football fan who loves the game of football as well as their rooting interest, their fan support of a particular team. So many people tend to be fans of just exclusively their team. And when you're a fan like that, uh, sometimes I have trouble uh, with those fans because they don't have uh, that awareness. They don't care about what's going on at other schools or uh, with other programs. All they care about is their team winning, and I think it is that kind of a uh, mentality that, that lends itself to kind of the, the ugly fan element that, that is part of every program. I'm not suggesting that any program doesn't have those kinds of fans, but I really think that's the key to great fan uh, support and, and, and engaging in conversations with great college fans is uh, finding people who are like-minded to yourself and love the sport not just their team. And if you find those kinds of people, then you know your tailgating experiences, your visits to other stadiums can be so fun. Uh, but if you find that person that's just whacked out, focused on their team, they tend to have no perspective on that. So, so I wanna uh, just kind of toss that out as a subject. Maybe we can go into that a little bit deeper, but, but Brian represents an example of, of someone who loves the sport of college football. And I think it's a, a part of why we uh, have enjoyed each other's company and in, in our conversations about the sport. Well, as from my perspective on that issue, um, growing up as a kid, you know, I was mostly just interested in Nebraska football. And so I would watch the games with my dad, you know, on football Saturdays, that was pretty much all I cared about, you know, but as time went on and I asked more questions to him, learning about how the sport was played and getting more interested in just watching football in general, uh, I came to appreciate, you know, other games like, you know, when we get to the bowl season or, you know, watching the national championship, national championship game would always be an exciting time, you know, and uh, I've gotten to the point now where Nebraska is the only team I'll follow like every game that they play. But if there's another big game going on that week, you know, if it's Ohio State, Michigan or Michigan State, Oregon or those sorts of, you know, games where I can expect a good matchup, you know, particularly if it is with a Big Ten team and that, you know, plays into, you know, um, Nebraska's place within the conference in terms of rankings and stuff like that. There are other factors, but I just love watching, you know, good football teams play each other and seeing those, you know, great plays and stuff. As an example, I remember a couple of years ago, I forget if this was the national championship game or just the SEC title game, but it was a game between Alabama and Auburn, mm-hmm. and it was like an extremely defensive game. Like the there weren't a lot of points scored, but both defenses were just shutting down the other team's offense, and there would be, there were a lot of like three and outs, and they'd just keep punting the ball back to each other. 
And I, rem- I remember some people being upset that there were, like it wasn't that good of a game because there wasn't any big tons of big plays going on, you know, on offense. But I was like, but there were so many great tackles and like good defensive plays, and I really like enjoyed that game a lot. Right, right. Well, and that's the thing is that uh, you know my hope uh, for you, Alex, and the time that we've spent, uh, you know, on uh, talking about the sport is that is that you know you've grown to appreciate the sport itself and um, and the, the rooting interest for Nebraska is is just part of it and not not the exclusive focus and so that's something that is from a messaging standpoint uh, you know when we talk to to people who might listen to this podcast you know my hope is is that they would uh, would also embrace that view and, and hopefully that comes through in in all the conversations we have going forward you know mm-hmm. so um, um, what what do we got uh, next on our agenda? Uh, the next thing is we talked a bit with Mr. Clower about um, Jim Delaney as the you know Big Ten commissioner and how he's getting near his retirement at this point. We're not exactly sure how long that's going to be, but it's probably coming up in the not-so-distant future. And uh, we just want to give our perspective, since it's mostly Mr. Clower talked about before, on Delaney and what he's done for the Big Ten and college football in general. Right, right. And, you know... Um, Again, kind of having the unique perspective of being from a, a team that hasn't been in the conference that long, uh, I saw Jim Delaney, you know, from a distance when we were in the Big 12, and um, there were times when I would perceive him to be kind of a whiner, right? A guy that was always complaining about this, that, or the other thing, and kind of sounding holier than thou. But I would have to concede that now that I have been able to get to know his thought processes and listen to a lot more of his, you know, state of the, uh, of the union speeches, so to speak, uh, for the conference, you begin to understand where he's coming from, where, where his thought process originates. And, uh, and I've grown to respect a great deal that that passion he always has for the student athlete, the, that he always uh, kind of looked at every issue within the sports uh, arena uh, from the perspective of the student athlete, and it didn't matter whether it was football or lacrosse or you know a women's crew, it it didn't matter. the The bottom line was he was wanting to make sure that we were doing right by the student athletes and that we were being fair uh, to them, and yet uh, understanding you know the, the big business aspect. and And obviously he's been he's been very very astute and a visionary uh, in the whole uh, media uh, aspect of. The conference and what's going on and what's going to go on in the future and even as recently as the 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 selection of Rutgers and Maryland to add to the conference which was which was uh, received with some uh, objection uh, the reality is is when you look at the at the financials of it and what his greater vision is it makes sense why he did it and and what that could ultimately lead to for for not only the Big Ten, but for those two institutions, both Maryland and Rutgers, who I think are going to benefit greatly, not just financially, but in other ways, from their association in the Big Ten. And I feel like Nebraska has already uh, enjoyed some enormous benefits, probably less so in football than many other sports, uh, women's sports, as well as on the academic side of things, uh, some tremendous opportunities that have been afforded the university because of our new association with the Big Ten Conference and uh, and the various affiliate associations that represents. Mm-hmm. And personally, I don't know as much about Delaney. I haven't really followed his decisions as closely as my dad here. But I will say, just from hearing about him and stuff, he seems like a commissioner who's not afraid to bring up like topics at like the big meetings where like all the commissioners are, you know, or when like the 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 expansion you know, talk was going on and everybody was going crazy with that, you know, when we were leave, looking like we were going to leave the Big 12 and all that, you know, he was, like you said, he was somebody with a vision. He knew what he wanted, you know, and he wasn't afraid to, you know, be aggressive and get what he needed, what he right. felt like would help his conference. Right. Um, and I appreciate the fact that he has, you know, the guts to say things like that on a national front and try to bring up these issues that maybe other commissioners don't want to rock the boat as much, you know, and he right. doesn't seem to be quite as concerned about that. Right. And, and, um, I, I, I like the, the, the description that I think Brian used about having a balance between, um, you know, the, the, the traditions, right. The academic, uh, and athletic traditions of the big 10 while also looking to the future and being progressive. And he seems to have been able to strike a balance in that regard 
that I think is uh, probably one of the most effective of all the conferences. You know, uh, I, I would argue that although many might look at the SEC because of their success on the field in sports and say, well, clearly Slive has the better vision, but I think that there are some things there that, uh, that uh, Delaney has hung on to that maybe a lot of the other commissioners have let go of that I have great admiration for. So, uh, and I'm speaking of just the, the whole focus on the student athlete, making sure that the academic pr progress of that student athlete is, is protected as well as their opportunity to continue to be a student athlete and not be shoved aside uh, is also very, very central. Mm -hmm. so, so some really great things. Uh, and I, I believe that in all likelihood, his timing is gonna be after this next major television contract is done and I don't know exactly the timing on that but I think he plans to at least see that through and then probably sometime after that may be stepping aside. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to move on to our last topic of the day our more Nebraska centric topic. Um, there were some players that were recently inducted into like the Nebraska's player hall of fame mm -hmm. and so we want to do talk about those individual players and congratulate them you know for their past successes. Right right. Well, and, and the thing is, is that, you know, uh, there's a few that, that I don't know as well. Uh, one that I should know better, and, but don't. Uh, and then others that I do know. Um, and um, so, uh, you know, headlining the group in terms of the Hall of Fame inductees are um, a couple of players that are recent NFL standouts, guys that have not only did great things at Nebraska, but also did great things in the NFL and uh, Demario Williams and Josh Bullock. Bullocks, excuse me, and uh, uh, those two guys have been named uh, to the Hall of Fame class for this year, um, as well as uh, Scott Frost, who's, of course, everyone knows is the uh, offensive coordinator at Oregon, and uh, uh, you know had a, a, a great but uh, somewhat tumultuous run at the University of Nebraska, uh, but led to ultimately the 1997 national championship. Uh, back uh, in the late yeah, he 90s. won a Heisman too no he did not he did it no uh-uh oh no and then uh, uh, there was also a, a safety uh, Jeff uh, Krejci who uh, played from um, 19 uh, I think like a 79 to 81 somewhere in that time frame and then Harry Wilson who who was in that um, early to mid 60s time frame and he was a running back fullback type uh, at that time uh, and had some great success and uh there were also a few uh, small college uh, uh, honorees as well, um, a gentleman from the uh, Midland College, Midland University now, uh, Brad Colburn, uh, um, was also added to the, uh, to the list of Hall of Fame inductees. Um, they, they also have some other Hall of Fame inductees that are, have to do with this, the Meritus Service Award and that sort of stuff, but I don't, I don't know much about them, so I'll, I'll, I'll refrain <laughs> from talking we'll about those them. folks. Yeah. But, uh, but um, so Harry Wilson, uh, 64 to 66, he played. And uh, I don't remember him. I, I, that predates me. But it's uh, from Steubenville, Ohio, uh, interestingly enough. Uh, and uh, uh, was a, a successful running back and was part of three straight Big Eight titles and a three-time letter winner um, and uh, played in a, a, at least one Orange Bowl that was a a, a chance at the national championship, probably Bob, I think Bob Devaney's first chance at a national championship. He was a UPI All-American as a senior um, and uh, a pretty talented player and played on a lot of successful football teams uh, and a lot of big-time bowl games. And then uh, Jeff Krejci is, uh, was a first-team All-Big 8 safety for Tom Osborne uh, in that 79-81 time frame. And so he was a, a player that... Uh, um, it led all all the uh, defensive backs and tackles, and uh, really did a great job of uh, uh, covering the backside, so to speak, uh, during his years. So uh, anyway, uh, uh, a heck of a player. And then of course Scott Frost. I don't think I have to mention or describe too much about him, <laughs> but but since you thought he won, won the Heisman, he did not win the Heisman, okay. but he was a very very successful quarterback. I, you know, I, I like to describe Scott Frost as a player that was probably the best fit overall, the best fit to execute Tom Osborne's offense of any player. I mean, Tommy Frazier ran and was the most successful, you know, quarterback uh, at Nebraska. But I would argue that Scott Frost's skill set actually allowed Tom Osborne's 
offense, the, you know, on paper, you know, how the plays are supposed to be run and executed, no one did it better than Scott Frost. Uh, so he would be my number one quarterback if you're listing them just from the standpoint of how effectively did they execute and run that offense, you know. Uh, that's probably a great question for some, some discussion of ours down the road even uh, is to kind of rank those things because you might be surprised by some of the names that, that I would put on that list that uh, ahead of Tommy, for example, um, that have to do with really being able to execute and run that you, whole offense. You, your point is that, like, Tommy wasn't necessarily the best at, like, executing the play exactly as it was on paper but his physical skills and his right creativity know, instinct with the option mm-hmm. was just so good that he overcame uh, it absolutely absolutely and yet uh, and and i think scott was more of a guy who who took exactly what the play was supposed to give him and 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 also had great physical talent don't get me wrong you know he played in the nfl for a number of years scott frost was a phenomenal athlete but but i just thought he executed it uh, to perfection it was a joy to watch it uh, and, of course, uh, people remember the, the national championship uh, in the 1998 Orange Bowl that he led uh, the team to victory, and it was just an awesome, dominating performance um, and one that I won't forget. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, um, it's, uh, it's just a lot of fun to see that he's being recognized, you know? Right. Uh, so, uh, um, let's see here. Then uh, Josh Bullock's was uh, one of the top pass defenders in, 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 in Nebraska history, really. He... He uh, uh, intercepted a ton of passes. I can't, let me see here if I can find the year. Yeah, here it is. Uh, uh, intercepted uh, uh, 10 passes in 2003. Wow. Had 10 interceptions. The guy was just incredible. Um, and, uh, and his brother, too. His brother was the other safety. Uh, and, um, but uh, Josh was, was just a remarkable player and, and did a great job during his career and ended up with a pretty substantial NFL career uh, playing for, I, I believe, uh, uh, let's see here, um, I'm going to check that too, but New Orleans, <laughs> uh, Chicago, um, and I could have swore he also had a stint, maybe it was his brother that had a stint with the, with the, our own Detroit Lions here in the state of Michigan, but, but, uh, but anyway, um, uh, did quite well in his NFL career as well. And then DeMario Williams, who was just an absolutely incredible defender, uh, probably one of the best linebackers to ever play at Nebraska, and uh, uh, was just tremendous. He was a, a, a JUCO uh, kid, uh, I believe, that uh, you know came into the to the league and uh, and just uh, uh, really did some phenomenal things for for uh, uh, a number of NFL teams. He did bounce around a little bit, but but his his career at Nebraska was was just incredible. One of the one of the finalists for the uh, uh, Butkus Award, I believe, if uh, if if I remember correctly, but uh, just a tremendous player. Mm-hmm. So I think, uh, and then probably the final one would be uh, honorary inductee Brooke Beringer. Right. Okay, they're doing an honorary post post. Uh, what is that? Posthumous. Posthumously, uh, thank you. Um, uh, Brooke is being inducted, even though because the 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 criteria for uh, induction in the Hall of Fame is that you have to have been an All American. Um, uh, to, to, to be, you know, inducted. Um, but now they've kind of changed that rule starting this year. But uh, he's getting in um, just because of all the things that he contributed to the team, not just what he did on the field, but all the remarkable things he did a- after it. And, and uh, it was uh, interesting that they chose to uh, do the introduction of this Hall of Fame class or to the announcement of the Hall of Fame class on his, uh, what would have been his 42nd birthday. Uh, so mm-hmm. that was kind of an interesting twist on just the timing of it all. But, uh, yeah, you know, well, it goes without saying what Brooke, uh, uh, you know, did. You explained that rule kind of explains it to me because I would have thought that Brooke Beringer would have gotten in the Hall of Fame a long time ago myself. Right. You right. Know. Yeah, he's got he's... a statue of himself outside the stadium. <laughs> you'd, you'd think he'd be in our Hall of Fame, don't you think? But, yeah, uh, but yeah it was just kind of one of those standard rules because they, they wanted that, uh, you know, like any Hall of Fame, you wanted the Hall of Fame to be – Exclusive. It, it, you need to have been really risen to a certain level to uh, to get that recognition. Mm-hmm. But but at, at some point, because of the way that uh, our conferences have expanded, you know, now we've gone to the Big Twelve, and now we're in a Big Ten that has fourteen teams. You know, when you're now picking all Big Ten first team among fourteen teams instead of eight teams in the old Big Eight, that's, that's pretty big. big deal. So now all of a sudden you start looking at it and saying, you know. 
and somebody who's all Big Eight, uh, second team, frankly, might be, or excuse me, all all Big Ten, uh, second team might be as good as an all Big Ten, uh, Big eight. or excuse me, all Big Eight first, a first team. teamer. You know what I mean? Just right. because of the numbers. And so uh, you got to kind of understand that that recognition, and and I'm just glad they did that. Yeah. So. So, but a, a neat class um, that's uh, going to be coming into the hall, and it just kind of shows the depth of, of talent and, and, and success that we've had, you know, when you can keep pulling all these incredible names out of the hat, and they're not even in the Hall of Fame yet. Like you said, how can Beringer not be in the Hall of Fame? You know, how Demario Williams should be in our Hall of Fame. Scott Frost certainly should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And, you know, that was in 97, so it's been a while. So amazing that he isn't already there. Yeah, well, I guess they need that like longevity, that you know, time to sort of appreciate your right. You know, I, I think the standard your, is like ten legacy. years before they become eligible. So I see. So all right. Well, I think that's going to wrap up our podcast for the day. Um, another big thanks goes out to Brian Clower for coming on as our guest this podcast. Uh, if you guys enjoyed this, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or on Podomatic.com. We're at footballthrowdown.podomatic.com. You can leave comments, constructive criticism on either of those websites. We always like to hear from you guys. You can also email us at uh, huskerpete13 at gmail.com if you would like to contact us that way. you have anything else you'd like to add? You know, uh, what I was going to say is maybe preview our next uh, podcast you know, this one we kind of got a little bit far afield because we were lucky enough to, to be joined by Brian and then uh, just had a few things, you know, pop in like the Hall of Fame discussion. Um, and I want to get back to the nuts and bolts of football a little bit in our next bro- uh, broadcast and talk about uh, a little bit more in-depth on the East. I mean, Brian broke the ground on that a little bit. and uh, We'll spend a little bit more time on the East and then Thank also uh, dive into the West and kind of get our thoughts on uh, before, you know, fall camp even begins, what do we think is going to happen uh, and, and where are people going to fall? And I'd like to get your opinion and I'll, of course, share mine uh, about what we think going in. And then uh, just take a look-see at how we feel maybe just before the season starts after we've heard all the media day stuff that's going to start kicking off here next week with mm-hmm. media days in the SEC. So we're right on the cusp of, of the season and this is going to get real exciting really fast. That's right. So thank you for listening, college football fans, and we will see you next time.